Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. In honor of Pride Month, the Startup Canada podcast network is celebrating the contributions and achievements of LGBT plus entrepreneurs. Join us as we chat with LGBT plus founders and support organizations who are challenging the status quo to build a more inclusive world. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Florence Gagnon and Sandeep Nair of Pride at Work Canada. Florence Gagnon is the founder, publisher, and creative director of Montreal-based LSTW magazine. And uh, that's a thick, really thick annual bilingual publication committed to fighting queer invisibility. Florence holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts from Concordia University, and she's the co-creator and executive producer of Féminin, Féminin, a television drama that won two Gemini Awards in Canada and several international prizes. She's also programming assistant for the nonprofit Pride at Work Canada, which empowers employers to build workplaces that celebrate all employees, regardless of gender expression, gender identity, or sexual orientation. Sandeep Nair is Manager of Business Operations for Pride at Work Canada. He's a skilled EDI specialist and with a proven record of building relationships and managing projects. He's also an equity, diversity, and inclusion consultant, and he serves in the board of the Nanaimo Pride Society in Nanaimo, BC. Welcome to the show, Florence and Sandeep. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. It's great to have you here. Sandeep's in, in, in British Columbia. Florence is in Montreal. I'm in Toronto. Technology is wonderful. First question for you guys is our standard question, which is where we try and let our entrepreneurial audience know what they can expect from the next 40 minutes or so. So what are the top pieces of advice that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from this conversation? Florence? Yeah, so I would say my main piece of advice would be uh, that you need to stay true to yourself. Uh, I think that authenticity uh, that makes you stick out from everyone, what your unicity uh, will make you stick out from anyone else. And I think that's when you can reach your top potential. So when you feel like you're true to yourself, you're feeling more confident. Uh, it can be for sure related to your identity, but it, ca it can also be uh, related to your values and what's important for you. So I would say most definitely uh, the authenticity. Can I just ask before we get to Sandeep, what does authenticity mean to you? How does that show itself in, in everyday life? Yeah, well, before starting my own business or just working in the business world, I think I wanted to fit into some boxes in life. I want, I had expectations of what like a businesswoman should look like or how, what type of business could exist. And I think just 
being who I am and just even if I was feeling different, just using these strengths that I have and create something that looked like me. I think that helped me just build something that was way different and way unique and really helped me in the business world. Fantastic. Sandeep, what, what do you hope that entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? I would say that it's that they understand that uh, big or small, every organization, every company has a responsibility towards creating a safe and inclusive workplace for all their employees. And in the, this context, specifically the LGBTQ2 plus uh, employees, uh, to also understand how uh, LGBTQ2 plus inclusion also plays an important part in terms of uh, their business case or you know, having a productive business. And finally, to acknowledge that uh, inclusion is not a checklist. Inclusion is a constant journey and uh, nobody can say that I've completely achieved inclusion. It's a journey that they have to go on constantly. Not a checklist, but a journey. I, I, I love that because I understand exactly where that comes from. And it applies to a lot of things that we do as entrepreneurs, but especially so uh, in this case. Can one of you tell us a little bit about Pride at Work Canada? What does the organization strive to do and what kind of impact do you have? Yeah, I can take that. Uh, so Pride of Work Canada, we are leading national organization. We are a not-for-profit and we work extensively with organizations across Canada. We have uh, close to 160 member organization who's part of our uh, you know, network. And uh, what we do is connect, educate and benchmark our national partners in making sure that they create an inclusive and safe environment for the LGBTQ2 plus employees. And we do that through our events and webinars that we conduct throughout the year, uh, training and consulting through our extensive resources, through our, our constant uh, community partnership, that is our partnership or collaboration with other not-for-profit organizations in Canada and uh, help companies, I would say, drive an effective LGBTQ2 plus inclusion in their workplace, both internally and externally. Can you give me an example of the, the type of work that you do with organizations? Okay, so in terms of uh, work, I would have to say we do, okay, if, you're talk, if I'm talking about specific events and webinars, so we do conduct uh, events regularly, like I said, uh, annually around, and uh, we delve into a little deeper than the basic LGBTQ2 plus uh, inclusion workplace uh, inclusion topics, but talk about, say, the importance of intersectionality, uh, you know, how uh, it is just not about LGBTQ2 plus employees, but also probably about uh, people with disabilities or about generation or, or about, you know, the mental health of LGBTQ2 plus employees that organizations have to consider now during the pandemic specifically. Right. So that's some of the things, yes. And how did each of you get involved with Pride at Work Canada? Florence? Yeah, so uh, just before I joined the organization, I had actually attended most of the networking events when we could host some in person. Uh, and maybe for the last two or three years, with all my involvement with the LGBTQ community here in Montreal, the corporate world seemed a bit far from what I was doing, uh, since I'm more from the nonprofit and the artistic world. But I was really intrigued by this organization that was able uh, to reunite all these organizations, these big companies and active, uh, active, influential members of the community. So for me, it was really just being at the events and just meeting new people. And I, I was so interested about this, but it was one, it was uh, Toronto based. So for sure, uh, I, I was asking questions of how the francophones were reflected in all this. So I met, uh, with the team and let, led me to Pride Canada. Sandeep, how did you get involved? What, what led you to Pride at Work? 
To give a background, I do self-identify as a gay man. So that's uh, one of my identities. And I, with my personal lived experience, I do have a passion for uh, EDI, equity, diversity and inclusion. And uh, moving to Canada, I moved to Canada just in 2019. Uh, when I, before that, I did work in an organization, I would say, uh, extensively in the EDI space. Then I moved to Canada. I did want to continue my career or my journey in the same field. And Private Work Canada uh, has an organization and the people share the same value as myself. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, being passionate about the job, in terms of making sure that we are creating a safe and inclusive society or, you know, an organ- like, you know, a, a world in general. So that's what led me to actually apply for the position of manager for business operations at Private Work Canada uh, when the opportunity showed up. And uh, yes, so here I am today working with the fantastic team and the organization. And it's clearly a very national team with uh, people across Canada. Yes, I would have to say. So I'm in based in BC. Uh, most of the uh, people in the uh, team are in Toronto and then we have Florence in Montreal as well. So we definitely cater to the entire nation. Yeah. Was this remote participation, was it, did, did it happen as a result of COVID or, or was it pre-COVID? Were you doing work from home <laughs> before it was cool? Uh, well, I, I can say I, I, I did because before the pandemic, I was the uh, only uh, staff member that was not based in Toronto. Uh, so I was w- working remotely from Montreal. So now when we're doing Zoom meetings, I feel like <laughs> I'm not the only one being remotely. So, but I think it's it, the rest of the team is just uh, since the pandemic. Right. Florence, I have to ask you about LSTW. Yes. magazine. Um, I'm a former magazine writer, editor, publisher, and uh, I know you started with your work telling stories uh, online, but then you decided that a magazine would be a, a, an appropriate extension to that. So tell me a little bit about what makes a magazine work in today's busy digital marketplace. Yeah, so print was a choice for us because we were working uh, on the web and we we thought that so much work was put into all the articles and all the photography editorials. And we just decided that we wanted to create something more as an archive. Uh, just going through the LGBTQ plus archives in Montreal, we just realized that the dialogue around lesbian uh, culture was missing. So we, we read so many things online, but something that was done for print. Uh, there was very little out there in terms of media for lesbian, queers, trans, and non-binary folks. Uh, and we found that it was like natural for people to want to see their stories reflected back at them. And so we decided as a team to start this print project. So we really wanted to have this kind of content that we wanted to create. Uh, so we want to focus on ha- highlighting positive role models that was celebrating queers, trans, and non-binary folks who were doing and are still doing uh, uh, bright, brave, ambitious things. So it's so wide, all the range of topics. We just launched our fifth issue, so it's an annual magazine. Uh, and it's, it's really important for us to be able to, to reflect all, all these different experiences. And I'm happy to say that we have more than 20 contributors for, from so many parts of the world right now and that the magazine is sold in more than 17 cities. And where can people find it? Are there particular stores or across the country? 
In Canada, we want to support these LGBTQ2 plus uh, bookstores. So in Montreal, we have Le Gillian. In Toronto, we have Glad Day Bookshop. Uh, but we anyone can uh, buy it online on our website and we do ship everywhere. Cool. And how do you pay for it? I mean, a print magazine is an expensive proposition. All that paper, all that ink. What funds that? Do you have advertising that funds that? We have some advertising. Yeah, print is kind of difficult. And even right now, the way we were uh, actually uh, paying for the publication was we were hosting in-person events before the pandemic. So it was mostly LGBTQ2 plus dance parties. And we also had uh, corporate partners. So now we're working with TD and that, that was part of our financial structure. We still have the support from those partners. Uh, that's helping us a lot uh, these days. But I think it's, it, our structure was made from community uh, fundraisers and then the corporate world. And for us, it was really important to pay all the artists and contributors. So all the money goes back into the publication. Well, I look forward to the days we can when we can go back to dance parties. And <laughs> yes, good for sure. With that, absolutely, absolutely. Tell us about so so the work that Pride that that you're that you're both you've both been doing uh, on an ongoing basis as well as with Pride at Work. From your experience, what value does inclusion and diversity LGBTQ two plus what does that specifically offer the business world? Why should what why should business leaders who maybe no, don't quite get it, why should they pay attention? Why should they lean in? To start off, I think it's, it is very important to understand that LGBTQ2 plus inclusion is definitely uh, going to help an organization in their business case. Because as per statistics, it's seen that so in terms of retention, attraction, and you know productivity, it is seen that 72% of the allied job seekers uh, in Canada usually accept a job or a position at an employer that is LGBTQ2 plus inclusive. Uh, it's also seen that 22% of the LGBTQ2 plus inclusive Canadian companies perform better in the marketplace compared to their business peers. In terms of productivity, uh, it's seen that 87% of the time, a diverse team uh, perform better in terms of productivity. They solve problems faster and have better results. So that's in terms of a business case for the leaders. And in terms of organizations in general, we do know that a lot of organizations do, uh, I would say, talk about LGBTQ2 plus inclusion uh, in their workplace, but uh, they have sometimes been inconsistent or short-sighted in terms of their inclusion strategy. So it is not a checklist. Uh, it is something that they'll have to constantly keep striving to achieve and better because there is a constant improvement in the market best practice when it comes to LGBTQ2 plus inclusion. It's about creating a diverse uh, team. It's about making sure that the employees can go to the workplace or you know, perform at the workplace, bring their whole steps to work, making sure that they are given equal opportunities and benefits, uh, just like all their other employees who are uh, part of the workforce. And there is, a, I would say, a significant representation of the diverse community as well. So it is not just having probably one or two, say, gay or lesbian or bisexual individual in the organization and say, okay, now we do have a diverse team. That's not how it works. It uh, you you would definitely have to have somebody who's a trans person or a gender diverse people representing your workforce as well and making sure their needs are met in your LGBT inclusion strategy. Right. Yeah. I would just add that in in a personal way, you know, it's it's definitely interesting to see the difference in a business where the employees are feeling self are feeling safe to be themselves. Yeah. So people do talk about their personal life at work more than we think. 
and just be able to share who you really are, feeling safe to do it can definitely change your whole experience in an organization. Can you tell me, Florence, can you tell me a little bit more about that? I, I, I love the, what you said and the way you said it about how great it is to be able to be in an organization where you get to be who you are. Can you, can you tell me about an example there where you were able to see, um, you know, a bit of a transformation there? Well, it's for sure there, there are some members, uh, when we plan events, I, I host events for product work. So for now it's online, but you can see in some discussions, you can see employees who just share that just talking about their partner and not being stressed when everybody comes back from vacation and people are just, just chatting, uh, around the, like the coffee machine and just talking about what they did for their vacation. Just being able to feel safe talking about not keeping everything as a secret. I, I guess just that feels like you just want to go to work and just feel safe and feel okay. So I guess it's all these little everyday things that when you're in a safe environment, it can change your perspective in the organization. That's beautiful. Sandeep, I quite enjoyed the way you presented the, the, the case just, just a few minutes ago for um, in, inclusion and the value it brings to business and to teams and, 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 and how diversity makes teams more effective and helps them solve problems faster. Can you share a story around that um, about, you know, to, to give us an idea of how that actually works? What makes these teams, diverse teams, more effective? I would have to uh, probably uh, say it uh, changes the, I would say, routine uh, perspective of how somebody looks at a certain job. I mean, for example, you know, the diversity, it's not just about the LGBTQ2 plus, uh, like, you know, I would say employees specifically. It could be a diverse team where it includes somebody uh, who is, uh, you know, a, a male, there is a you know, female, there is somebody who is probably having a certain kind of disability from the LGBTQ2 plus, and representing from LGBTQ2 plus, uh, you know, community, somebody of uh, a, maybe a senior, you know. Uh, so these are different, I would say, ways you could make a team diverse because everybody brings their own lived experience. So, for example, if there is a team which is, uh, I would say, predominantly only cisgendered, straight uh, people, then their perspective uh, is going to be same or their way of solving a problem would be same because of them not having a diverse lived experience similar to a trans person or somebody from uh, the LGBTQ2 plus community. So having somebody there would help bring a new look, new outlook to the same problem. They would have, you know, probably a simpler solution or a way with probably somebody else would not have thought about. I mean, obviously, it's all uh, coming down to a person's, you know, experiences that they would have had, uh, you know, through the identity or lived experience. Uh, so there are organizations specifically, if I have to say, who have probably looked at that as well now in terms of making sure that they have um, a solution in terms of, uh, you know, have putting in guidelines, for example, in terms of having a transition guideline uh, for the employees, which is relevant from an employee perspective as well as an organization's perspective uh, to take one of the examples of that would be having gender neutral restrooms so when we look at that people assume that it is specific only for the community which is not right because when you look at a gender neutral restroom it is for all employees like uh, for example if you do have a family day in the organization and there is a, a dad a single father a single dad who brings his young uh, daughter to work which restroom would he take his daughter to? I mean, he cannot use the uh, ladies' restroom. He cannot take his daughter to the men's restroom. So having a gender-neutral restroom would be a convenience 
for all employees. It's not just specifically the trans or the gender I was speaking. So those are some of the examples I can say how people would look at thinking out of the box and making sure it's uh, applicable and relevant to all employees and not just to a particular community. Beautiful. Very well done. Thank you. One of the things that we have to deal with as we lead society or follow society through uh, this change, the changes that it's going through, we need to have the commitment of the leadership teams in organizations. And I'm wondering if you could speak to the, the importance of leadership buy-in. What would you say, what would you guys say is the, the state of inclusivity, inclusivity leadership in Canadian business these days? Are the leadership teams really behind it or are they just trying to keep up or do they give a damn at all? I think it's when you see real change, uh, the leadership needs to be involved. Uh, people follow things by example. I think it can show uh, in in a culture of, of a business if the leadership is behind it and supporting it. We can see often in, for example, the events uh, that I plan and that I organize for product work, we can see when executives come and share, uh, share some examples. They, they take, uh, they take some moment to talk to the crowd. We need those executives and people being out if they're part of the LGBTQ plus community, but also if they're allies, it can really shift the message. And I think it, it has to come from leadership and not only from, uh, the LGBTQ2 plus employees who give time. Uh, we need to have these, these implemented from, from the top of the pyramid. Yes. I think just to add to what uh, Florence said, the best recommendation, uh, we would say that has actually worked for organization is a top down approach where, you know, the, uh, I would say the effective, uh, uh, I would say, uh, build-in uh, or the strategy comes from the or buy-in comes from the leadership the, which trickles down to the other managers and the other employees in the organization because when it comes from the leader then there is a brand informa- uh, uh, reinforcement uh, where the leader is actually announcing the commitment of the organization they are also probably you know approving budgets uh, for employee engagement making sure that they have the resources and the revenues which the ERG the employee resource groups and organizations can utilize to uh, extend their you know inclusion strategy in terms of making sure that the leadership uh, has an approval in terms of the changes that they want to do in organization culture giving the approvals on the policy changes in terms of having benefits that is relevant to all their full-time employees in terms of uh, also making sure that the organization can do uh, work uh, for a community outreach as well where they're giving back to the community so it's a uh, I would say 360 way of looking at uh, business in terms of not just internal, but external as well. Right. Yeah. And if I can add, we also see a difference between organizations when the leadership uh, is kind of taking their place in comparison to other organizations where it only comes from the group of employees. Top down is more effective than... Yeah, you yeah you see more more uh, involvement and in like like we said in the budget that they give to to the group of employees to take actions to plan some things for the community. It, it there is a, there is a big difference when it comes to when the leadership ha- gives the approval on the things that are going to happen. What kind of work do you think still has to be done in order to engage more business leaders in 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 these issues? They've got a lot on their plate. You know, they're probably not hostile, maybe just not aware. How do we get more people involved? I think it would be to start off with making sure that they conduct uh, regular 
uh, say inclusive leader uh, workshops or trainings for specifically for their leadership team making sure that the leadership team knows the right uh, i would say way of communication in terms of using gender inclusive language and making sure that you know as simple as using the pronoun for the conversation so you know when they introducing themselves they use uh, you know they pronoun saying hi i'm so and so and these that these are the pronouns that i use making sure that you they don't use gender based language like for example they say um, uh, you know uh, for example they say uh, hello people instead of specifically saying hello gentlemen and women but i really love the way you said gentlemen women and non binary users so that's a being a way of inclusive as well and then one of the ways of making sure that their brand recognition is there in terms of sponsoring uh, i would say community partners or other not for profits in their efforts to drive a positive social change using the uh, support from the organization is a big uh, i would say big support for you know organization as herself and other not for profits to drive the strategies they have in place so business leaders can engage by being vocal in those uh, events as well by sponsoring and being uh, collaborating with organizations so that is one of the ways they can definitely do that right can i ask how do you do this work with smaller businesses because we know that big businesses have teams of hr people and others and people concerned about culture uh and specialists in human resources and a lot of smaller organizations don't have that so how do you get the word out to smaller businesses or even startups that they have to that they should be you know working with these issues so in terms of that i think they have to understand that when they are looking at hiring or talent acquisition they definitely look at a possibility of hiring from the lgbtq2 plus community uh, they start right by making sure that uh, they start a inclusive culture corporate culture uh, while they setting up uh, you know smaller businesses and having a smaller team also helps them put uh, the right policies and benefits in place instead of having a bigger team so when they starting small it's also an opportunity for them to make things uh, right faster com- compared to a bigger organization yeah i would i would definitely say the same thing like start right listen also there's many things that people can read and listen uh, i think it's just to be really open about how also the community is changing uh, like sandeep said it's it's not just something that you 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 do you do checkpoints it's like it's something that always evolves and even in the community as part of the community even with lcw magazine we're still uh listening to the community and seeing how it evolves and make sure that we're listening right there's a lot of stereotypes around various aspects of queer culture and a lot of things that straight culture doesn't understand um and i i guess very much Florence, in your work you've been trying to uh you know blow up some of these stereotypes and 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 explore all aspects of diverse cultures. So I'm I'm just wondering if you can talk about, you know, the, the stereotypes that are out there and the need for us to challenge them to 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 really break down all the barriers. Yeah, so I uh, I'll guess I'll, I'll explain this in a more personal way. Um this is definitely something that we experience kind of every day. I never thought that I would still experience it today. Uh it could be simple things as stereotypes. Uh, I still get some questions sometimes, like which one of you two play the roles of the guys in the relationship, or is it true that lesbians move in together after just two dates? 
there are so many stereotypes uh, and our LGBTQ plus culture is so incredibly diverse and beautiful and positively challenging. So we need more people getting involved in being out and visible. I think that's a way we can change those stereotypes. And I think with, with our work with the magazine, this is all about that. So it's to, it's to celebrate all these creative expressions through and for ourselves, it's visual arts, fashion, photography. And I think it's, it's a, an immediate connection with the, the pages of the magazine. And we, um, I do think like growing up, I thought that I had to look a certain way uh, to be a lesbian. So I guess we're trying to change that, that you can look any way you want and still be your own way of being gay. So I think these stereotypes need to change and the more people are visible and, and being out and also working on this inclusion and diversity uh, can really help challenge them and just be able to give more, more role models on what that could be. How do you think that the entrepreneurship community or ecosystem in particular can be effective and inclusive allies to the LGBTQ2 plus community? What can entrepreneurs do? I would say that it, it's always a, a thing of value. So value us because gays, bis, trans, non-binary folks exist not just during pride season, but all year long. I would say that for, for the entrepreneurship ecosystem, but also for the corporate world, everything that we do and we are exists all year long. And we need for people to see us and value us not only during pride. I think that would be, that's something I often say in interviews, but I think it's, it's just uh, a bit frustrating to when you start initiatives or you want to feel included in this, in society, in the workplace, and that you feel that people just see you during certain times and not just like for who you are all year long. Obviously, you've got to invite more people to the dance parties. That <laughs> yeah, that could be it. <laughs> well, also, when you say value us, I, I felt that was a really important phrase, but I'm not 100% sure what you mean by it. Can you tell us what's behind that? In that particular question, I think it's, it was really about seeing us and like seeing the fact that, that we are important all the time and that we have equal value. Like we're looking for equity, we're looking for justice, for a sense of belonging. Like value in that way for me is just being seen and being acknowledged and for, for everything we are. Sandeep, you've been in, in, in looking at this business uh, from uh, in the, at these issues from a couple of different perspectives, including being an Im a new immigrant to Canada. Um, mm -hmm. How how would you assess our society in terms of our engage our, our engagement, our acceptance of uh, of diversity, and our willingness to get into it, roll up our sleeves, and do the work to make this work? To give you a perspective, I would have to say before I moved to Canada, I mean, everybody back in the East, I mean, the, even from India where I'm coming, where I come from, we have a perception that Canada is a very accepting country of the LGBTQ plus community. So people assume, I mean, from somebody who's from the community back there would assume that once they move to Canada as an immigrant, then it's like they have their wings to fly. It's like they're out of a cage, which I don't think is... Uh, I would have to say right to a larger extent because uh, even the society or the community in Canada is still evolving to accept uh, LGBTQ2 plus uh, community in terms of, uh, you know, uh, understanding that uh, it is just one aspect of a person's identity and that does not define them. 
uh, you know, they have other identities that go along with us. Like, for example, I identify as a gay man, but that is not just my identity. I am also an immigrant. I'm a person of color. I am a professional. I come from a certain, you know, educational background. All of that builds my identity. So that is something people would have to accept. And also, I think uh, to a larger extent, people are learning because when yeah, they do sometimes make mistakes of assuming that, you know, uh, my partner would be a woman just because I, uh, you know, I'm male, which is not right. Because when I say that, you know, my spouse has, you know, uh, so-and-so is going to uh, call you so-and-so, they just assume that, you know, that they use the pronoun she, her. They like, so what does she do or when, when would she call? And then I'll have to go and correct them saying it's not she, it's a he, you know, uh, it is my husband. So those things are things that people are open to learning. But there are a few people who probably don't take it that well as well. So uh, there is, like I said, there's always a teaching moment, but there is also opportunities where uh, people would have to understand that, uh, you know, it's a constant hurdle that as a community we would have to face, rightly like uh, Florence said. Right. Florence, do you agree that, that we're evolving? Yes, for sure. But there's so much room for improvement still. True. Uh, yeah. So So for us, it's just... I think we're, we're, we're lucky to be in Canada, but at the same time, I know that there, there are also, and it, it, it's different in every part of Canada, even working as a remotely team from many parts of Canada, we experience different things. Uh, even our content is, is different in the, in each cities, the francophones, the anglophones. Uh, I think they're, they're, we're not at the same level of knowledge and of experience in diversity and inclusion in different provinces. So all of that is just work. And I think it's really interesting to see how, how we can work with these differences. There's also the urban-rural divide uh, in Canada, as in the United States, as in many other countries, where cities are t- tend to be a place where the more diverse and accepting and tolerant people gather. And the, in some ways, the rural areas by losing those people become, in my experience, even more insular. Do either of you have any experience with the rural conditions and what can be done to try and, and carry the message there? I would have to say that the rural conditions would have to be uh, a lot to do with breaking their misconceptions. Uh, specifically, that would make a big change. Like, for example, for them to understand that they cannot guess somebody's gender identity or uh, a sexual origin just by looking at a person. You know, just because a uh, male is effeminate does not mean that they are gay. You know, or just because a uh, woman chooses to keep her hair, sh- hair short does not mean she's a lesbian. So these are the misconceptions that I think mostly we have seen in rural, uh, you know, uh, I would say areas, which uh, probably is some of the misconceptions there that would help them break. Just, you know, it is not uh, wearing pink does not make somebody gay. And, you know, even the difference between, I would have to say, the gender identity, sexual orientation, gender expression, and biological sex, how each of these are independent from each other and has got no major correlation with each other. So these are things that, that would help them understand that uh, it's a very complex uh, spectrum when it comes to LGBTQ plus community. Right. Maybe we could ease our way out of this now if each of you could give me an example of how things are getting better. Um, from the work that you're doing or the, the, the people you're meeting, the organizations that you're working with. Give us some, some, some success stories where we can say, hey, things are, you know, we really are evolving. 
To add from an employer's perspective, at least working with Pride Over Canada, I can say that we have started seeing uh, the uh, more conservative and I would say male dominant industry like a construction industry reaching out to us to make sure that they start off an LGBT conversation in their workplace to see how they can support their LGBT employees and you know even probably families uh, who of their employees who probably identify from the LGBTQ plus community. So they have started talking to or reaching out to us on taking the right step, making sure that they have everything in place to support the employees. So that I would say is one of the success stories uh, to see that, you know, um, a conservative industry like construction is reaching out now to do the right thing. That's fantastic. Florence, do you have an example as well? Yeah, I would add that even in Quebec, we have some government institutions that are now joining. Uh, we see a shift in like this business culture that it's not only just uh, banks that are buying floats in pride parades now, it's more uh, concrete work that is that is made internally in those institutions. Uh, and I would say in the uh, in the lesbian queer culture, uh, we have we feel a change. We see more uh, people being out and comfortable being out. Uh, in the in the TV industry, in the culture, uh, so we have more role models. I see young young followers of us that are living a different life that, that I was living when I was a teenager. So for sure, things are already getting better. But I guess we have to continue this good work. Right. You guys are both creative change makers. You're leveraging all the resources you can and using your imagination. So you're really entrepreneurs. What's one final tip that each of you would give our entrepreneurial audience for helping to pursue change and leverage change and create change in their industries? I would say that if you don't see yourself represented, there is room for each of you and you need to take that space. Uh, I guess it really helped me in my entrepreneur career or just the way I navigate in the business world is that there's room. We need more diverse people being visible. So if you have an idea of a project and also that nothing is quite impossible, if I knew I would have a print magazine 10 years ago, I, I wouldn't believe it. So I guess it's just the surrounding yourself with creative people and just try to, to build things from new ideas and really uh, there's really room for everyone and we just need to take that space. I love, I love what you say. You need to take that space. That, 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 that's fantastic. Sandeep, what have you got for our listeners? As uh, entrepreneurs, when you're starting a business, you have this, when you're planning a business, you'll have to see how you can engage with the LGBTQ2 plus uh, community as well. Because, uh, you know, that is, again, a very significant community that you can tap into for your business, be it for hiring, be it for your revenues as well. Because something what we call is uh, the pink money, uh, which is basically the spending value, spending value that the LGBTQ2 plus community worldwide has. So that is a huge uh, amount of revenue that organizations usually do not consider when they're putting their business together. So that is one of the ways you can build your business by engaging with the community as well. Fantastic. That's great. The, 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 the pink money. Let's keep that in mind. 
Okay, we have been talking with Florence Gagnon, who's with Pride at Work Canada, and she's in Montreal, and with Sandeep Nair, who's in Nanaimo, British Columbia, uh, also working with Pride at Work Canada, trying to create some really needed change in Canada, and do and doing that in all sorts of creative and sometimes even fun ways. So thank you for sharing these stories. Thank you for the work you do and uh, and, and keep going at it because obviously there's a, there's a benefit here for all of society. When everyone is seen, everyone is valued and everyone's involved. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's my pleasure and we'll talk again. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence. <laughs>